The title of today's message is Fresh Vision for Kingdom Living. And I'm sure that you can agree with me that having vision is really, really important. Just think about that. Having vision is really important. Proverbs 29 verse 18 tells us that without vision, the people perish. Another version puts it this way. Without vision, people cast off restraints. And we see a lot of this in today's world, people casting off restraint. People without a godly vision, living for themselves and running after money and power and pleasure. You know, if there's a vision gap, the enemy is quick to step in with his counterfeit plans. But the vision that leads to godly living comes from the Lord. That's where we find our source of vision, from the Lord. In the Old Testament, God's people got his vision through his prophets and through his laws and through the stories that their parents and their grandparents shared with them about God and his mighty power in their lives. Their vision was rooted in covenants, in covenants with God. You see, God had spoken to them and he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. That settled it. There was a covenant, and that was where their vision was rooted in. When they kept this vision of a covenant God front of mind, they were preserved. They lived for him, and they were spiritually alive. But when they lost sight of this vision, things happened, and they lost sight of this vision, then they ended up rebelling against God, they cast off restraint, they sinned, and they became like the nations around them, worshiping idols and perishing spiritually. But in the fullness of time, our God sent his son to earth. And Jesus came, and with him, a fresh source of vision, a vision about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught about his kingdom wherever he went, he said, my kingdom is like, my kingdom is like, my kingdom is like. So he taught about his kingdom, but he also ushered in his kingdom. People were healed, people were delivered with a word from his mouth or a touch from his hand. His light came into the darkness and he broke the chains. The king and his kingdom had come. You know, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he broke the power of sin and death. He broke it. His kingdom came and he gained victory over sin and death. And then he ushered in righteousness, peace, and joy. And that is what his kingdom is about. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You and I, that's what we can experience every single day. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus returned to his Father. He sent us his Holy Spirit and he gave us the task of being ambassadors for his kingdom, to see his kingdom continue to advance in our generations. He called us to live kingdom lives, lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we need to keep kingdom living fresh in our hearts and minds because if it grows dim, if it grows dim in our lives, we, like the Israelites of old, can end up 
casting off restraint, we can end up just like them, turning, drifting from the Lord, ending up sinning or doing things that we would regret in the, in the future. You know, I've been wearing spectacles since the age of 18. I realized my need for them in my first year of university. I was sitting in the back of a really large lecture room with my friend Peter, and uh, I asked him, Peter, can I borrow your glasses? I just want to see what it looks like through them. So I put them on, and there was writing on the board. <laughs> so I went to see an optometrist, and let me tell you one thing about optometrists, is optometrists are not scared of getting into your personal space. I mean, this is my first time with an optometrist. I'm pressed against this chair. He's getting, like, into my eyeball, you know, and uh, anyway, so I'm like this, and he did the whole test, and uh, when he finished the test, he looked at me and he said, did you drive here? <laughs> I had driven to the optometrist, and, uh, and uh, perhaps I would have been better at cricket in high school if I'd had my eyes tested earlier. <laughs> but the, the lesson from this is that my eyes had deteriorated and I hadn't realized it. So today I'm going to share the story about Philip in the book of Acts because Philip and the early church believers are a role model for living with a kingdom vision. And my prayer is that this story will be a bit of an eye test for each one of us. And if our kingdom vision has become dim, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to see again. So please turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Uh, the context to what we are about to re read is that uh, Stephen had just been martyred. Okay, so Acts chapter 8, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 8 and then uh, verses 26 to 40. I'll skip that middle part. So Acts 8, verse 1 from the New International Version. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. That's the death of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. It's a small little verse, but it's quite beautiful. You know, if someone we love passes away, and, you know, they buried him, and they, they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Jump with me to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south 
to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to that chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariots. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Friends, getting baptized is very important. What a lesson. Here he hears about Jesus. He realizes Jesus is his Messiah. The very first thing he wants to do is to get baptized. He sees water and says, what's stopping me? If you haven't been baptized in water, the next baptism service is on the 11th of September. I want to encourage you, get baptized, get baptized. It's a very, very important step in your walk with the Lord. Back to the text. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Ah, oh, he had new life in his heart. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. My first point is about being alive to God, alive to God. This, friends, is the key to kingdom living, being alive to God, especially when, difficult, when life is difficult. Do you know what it is like when you, you're going through a tough time, but inside of you there's life. The life of God is there. You're aware of God. You're alive to Him. You can hear His voice. You know His presence. You're encouraged in your heart. You're alive to God. This is the key to living during difficult times. In Acts 8 verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The Message Bible puts it like this, forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. The believers saw persecution 
as a tremendous opportunity to spread the good news about their Lord. They had a kingdom vision. Keep in mind that they had lost their homes. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine losing your home? Leaving your home with maybe just a small bag with a few extra clothes and making your way to a place that was safer, where your life wasn't at risk. And many of these believers, they had loved ones. Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters who had been taken and put in prison. This is what they were facing. But we don't see them discouraged. We, we don't see them overwhelmed. We don't see them complaining to God. No, we see them telling others about Jesus. How did they do this? They did it because they were alive to God. They were alive to God. They were alive to God. This is what true salvation looks like when we, we die to ourselves and we become alive to God. Most of these early church believers were Jews. They understood what Jesus had done for them on the cross because they knew about the Passover lamb and they knew about the lamb of atonement and how to get their sins cleansed. So when they realized that Jesus was their Passover lamb, when they realized that Jesus was their lamb of atonement, everything changed for them. Everything. The old had gone. The new had come. They became alive to God. And they lived for him with grateful and very, very devoted hearts. Quite clear how, with that bubbling up, how all they wanted to do was to tell other Jewish people that the Messiah had come. You know, there's great persecution in our world today, and society has become increasingly secular. Biblical worldviews are criticized by many people. You know, speaking the name of Jesus in some workplaces can cost you your job. How do you view persecution? What emotions does persecution unlock in you? Does it unlock fear? Because for many people it does unlock fear. People worry about their families and their family's well-being and uh, they gravitate towards self-preservation, just making sure that they're okay. Other people become really, really angry when there's persecution and they want to fight back in whatever way they can. For some people, uh, persecution leads to discouragement and a sense of hopelessness. They almost stop living. When we consider these responses to a threat, we can understand why the enemy uses persecution to attack God's people. But friends, we have the antidote. We've got the antidote to fear. We've got the antidote to worry. We've got the antidote to anger. We've got the antidote to hopelessness. And the antidote is to remain alive to God. So the storm may rage around us, but our eyes are on Jesus and we find rest in his love. 
I love, John, when you shared about we're in covenant with God. He will provide for us. That's what we do when we're alive to God, alive to His covenant, and alive to His Holy Spirit inside of us. You know, being alive to God changes us. It changes us. And being alive to God changes our prayer life. Our prayer life changes. Faith begins to rise up in our hearts. And we stop praying for the rapture. We stop praying for the Lord to take us to heaven. Instead, we start praying for the Lord to use us for his kingdom purposes here on earth. We start praying, Lord, may your kingdom come to earth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It's beautiful. He's the light of the world. But Jesus also said to us, you are the light of the world. So as the world gets darker, our light shines brighter. You know, the early church believers knew this, and they turned their world upside down. So here's the challenge. Are we alive to God? I want to stop here for a moment. If you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not feeling alive to God at the moment. Won't you just turn your thoughts towards the Lord? And Father, I pray for these people who are turning their thoughts to you. They're not feeling alive to God. But I pray you know them. And I pray even now by your spirit, you will just come. You'll just come into their hearts right now. You'll come and minister to them. And I pray that they will experience the life of God flowing. Jesus, you're the one that says that you will give living water. Streams of living water will flow within them. I pray, Holy Spirit, you, the living water, that your stream of your presence will begin to flow into every heart that is calling out to you right now in Jesus' name. Okay, so are we alive to God? That's point one. Point number two is kingdom vision. When we, when we look at Philip himself, we see someone with a clear vision, a clear vision for kingdom living. So let's take a moment to step into this Bible story. Philip doesn't seem to have got bogged down with the cares of this world. There's, there's a lightness. There's a freedom about Philip. He's got capacity to minister. Wherever God sends him, it's like he's got capacity. He's got the strength. He's got the inner strength. He, he's got the, the capacity to minister. There's a freedom in him. He's very sensitive to the leading of the Lord, and he's yielded to the Lord's will. Philip has a kingdom vision. I think Philip looked a bit like Jesus. I, I would imagine that he wore a robe and uh, sandals on his feet, uh, perhaps had a staff in his hand. Uh, definitely, I think he had a beard. But I, I think he also looked like Jesus in terms of his countenance and the rhythm in which he lived. Jesus was free. The world had no grip on him. He walked in a close, intimate relationship with his father, and he found great joy in doing his father's will. The sincere trusting and obeying that we see in Jesus, we see in Philip too. 
So Philip goes to a town in Samaria. And I can only imagine that the Lord directed him to that town. Because remember, the Jews and the Samaritans, there was animosity between them. So if he ended up there, I think God clearly directed his step to that specific town. And he goes there with a message of Jesus in his heart, and he goes there in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8 verse 6 tells us that when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Put yourself in Philip's sandals for a moment. Okay? Picture the scene in your mind's eye. I really want you to do this. Imagine that you are Philip. Now look at the crowds gathered around you and see how intently they're watching and listening, how hungry they are for the truth. Sense the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you, the awareness of being fully alive to God. Now watch the scene of revival that unfolds. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, and there was great joy in the city. Can you see yourself being used as an instrument in the hand of the Lord like Philip was? Do you believe that for you? Think about your family. Think about your friends, your workplace, your school. Do you have a kingdom vision for where the Lord has placed you? So the first point was about being alive to God. What a privilege we are as children of God, serving a living God, and that our relationship with Him makes us alive to Him. He wants to be close. He wants to walk with us, and we can experience His presence every single day. The second point is about having a kingdom vision. Like Philip, having a kingdom vision. The third point is living a yes, Lord, life. This is about living a surrendered life, a life of joyful obedience. The kind of obedience that comes when we understand God's heart, we understand His Father's heart, and we are yielded to the leading of the Spirit. So because we know God's heart, we know that His plans are good. And if He sends us anywhere, our response is, yes, Lord. So revival breaks out in Samaria, okay? And when the apostles in Jerusalem, Peter and John and the other apostles, when they hear about this revival in Samaria, they send Peter and John to go down there. And uh, Peter and John arrive, and they quickly determine that the believers there haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So they pray for them to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the Word says that all of them received the Holy Spirit. Incredible, incredible. And uh, then there's this brief incident that I didn't read about a man called Simon the sorcerer, and he was really annoying the apostles until they rebuked him. And uh, the next part of the story is where we touched on with Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch. So back to Acts 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. The angel said, go, and Philip went. He didn't negotiate with God. He didn't tell God that the Samaritans needed him. He didn't even ask if he could stay and enjoy the revival for a bit longer. No, he entrusts the believers into the care of Peter and John. Even, even more so, he entrusts these new believers into the care of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes. You know, this quality of Philip is something that we can pray for. This willingness to let go of one thing in order to move on to the next. This next thing that God has called us to. It's very easy to cling to things. We find comfort and security in places, in people, in our roles, in our routines. Sometimes it's even our own strengths or our own strong viewpoints that hinder us. And sometimes it's our insecurities. The telltale sign is when we hear ourselves saying things like, I can't do that. That's not my gifting. I'm not comfortable in those kind of situations. But here we see Philip going wherever the Lord leads him to go. Philip lived a yes, Lord, life. You know, God didn't even tell him what he's going to do when he gets to the desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Do you know that the distance between these two places, Jerusalem and Gaza, is 100 kilometers? I wonder how far Philip had walked before he met the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, that's like God saying to one of us, uh, please just get onto the N1 uh, between Pretoria and Potterstrom. No more information. Picture Philip walking down the road. He comes across a group of travelers and he says, is it them, Lord? And the Holy Spirit says, no. Walks and walks and walks and walks a bit further, a couple of kilometers. Uh, then a man approaches on a donkey and he's, is it him, Lord? No. Walk, walk, walk. Walk. A chariot approaches with a man from Ethiopia. Holy Spirit, is it him? Yes. What do you want me to do? Go to that chariot and stay near it. Yes, Lord. And that is what Philip did. Living the yes, Lord life gets easier with each testimony. Each time God uses us, it gets easier to obey. Philip went to Samaria in obedience and he saw a revival break out. Then he goes to this desert road and he leads an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit picks him up, takes him to Azotus, and he continues to preach the gospel to the cities there. There was a yes, Lord, in the heart of Philip. Friends, how easy do you find it to say, yes, Lord?
The fourth point is about practical steps for reaching out. And uh, Philip is an evangelist at heart, and from this story we can learn some practical things that can help us when we reach out to others. So step number one, listen to God. On the first occasion, an angel spoke to Philip. On the second occasion, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. God speaks in all kinds of different ways. And it's important when reaching out to someone that we've heard God speak, that we've had that prompting of the Lord in our hearts. Because when we listen to the Lord and we obey, we catch his heart for that person. And this makes all the difference. You see, God had already seen that Ethiopian eunuch. He had seen his devotion. And God wanted him to meet his son. So he sent Philip to him. There may be people in our spheres of influence, people in our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools, that the Lord has seen. And he's seen the devotion of their hearts. And he's seen how they're seeking. And he wants them to meet his son Jesus. And he has sent you and me to them. We need to listen to God. Is the Lord speaking to you about someone? Just even now. Has someone come to your mind? Someone's name, someone's face? Is the Lord speaking to you? Step two, don't wait till you have all the details before you obey. God seldom gives us the whole picture. I think he does this so that we don't get a fright. Because his plans are usually far greater than what we could ask for or imagine. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, he said the following, I have found that in every work of God, first, it is impossible. Then, it is difficult. And then, it is done. You know, sometimes we just need to take the first step and then let the Lord unfold his plans as we obey in faith. And this can be really helpful because sometimes the mission takes place in an unexpected place. Philip met this Ethiopian eunuch on the desert road. It would have been so easy for God to say, Philip, uh, can you make your way to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple courts? Uh, you're going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch there, and he needs to come to know Jesus. But that's not where it happens. It happens on a desert road, an unexpected place. When we have a vision for kingdom living, we can wake up each morning with this prayer, and a sense of anticipation in our hearts. The prayer goes like this. Lord, who are you going to lead me to today? And it may be an unexpected person in an unexpected place. Just last week, one of our young adults caught an Uber to church, and he led the Uber driver to the Lord. It's an unexpected person in an unexpected place. Praise the Lord. Lord, we pray for that Uber driver that he will come to the fullness of his knowledge of you. Is the Lord wanting you to be open to new people and new places? Step three, some people who need salvation are very devout seekers after God. The Ethiopian eunuch was devout. He had traveled a great distance to worship God in Jerusalem. He had been on a spiritual pilgrimage 
And he was reading the book of Isaiah. That's how serious he was about finding God, getting to know God. There are many people from different faiths and different worldviews who are earnestly looking for the truth. But they are lost and they need help in redirecting their diversion to the living God. You know, this was the case for the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a devout Jew, but he needed Philip to tell him about Jesus and about Jesus dying on the cross for him. He needed Philip to help him to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you imagine the harvest of souls in Ethiopia because of this one man? I can tell you now he would have got home and people would have said, how was your trip? person after person, all his family members, all his friends, his community, everyone in the kingdom of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. How was it? What happened? What did God do? I think he would have spoken more about his encounter with Philip than what happened at the temple courts in Jerusalem. He would have said, you won't believe what happened. Here I was on this desert road reading the book of Isaiah. I was reading this section. This man came and he explained it to me. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Can you imagine the harvest of souls? I believe that generations of Ethiopians are saved because of this one act of obedience by Philip. What is the best way for a community that practices another faith to come to salvation? Here it is. Think about a community near you, a suburb near you where the majority of the people practice another faith. The most effective way is for an obedient disciple of Jesus under the leading of the Holy Spirit to help a devout member of that community to meet Jesus and get born again. That person will spread the good news to the people that he or she knows and loves. Are you open to sharing the gospel with someone from a different faith? Step four, listen to people. The Holy Spirit told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. He wanted Philip to listen. And Philip heard the Ethiopian man reading from the book of Isaiah. And not just anywhere in Isaiah, the specific passage that prophesied about Jesus. If I was Philip and I heard that text being read, I would have gone something like this. No way, God. You've got to be kidding me. Or I would have gone, okay, Lord, now I know why you sent me to this desert road. We learn from Philip to listen to God, but we also learn from Philip to listen to people. I think sometimes that we talk too much in our longing to help someone meet Jesus that we don't listen enough. When we listen, we communicate care. And listening builds trust. And listening helps us to understand where that person is so that we can share the gospel message in the context of their story. And this is what Philip did. He listened. And then he asked this question, do you understand what you are reading? Something amazing happens when we listen. And that something is that we receive invitations. People invite us to speak into their lives. 
This is what the Ethiopian man said. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And here comes the next invitation. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Can you think of someone that you need to listen to? Someone in your life that you need to listen to more and get to know? My final step is share the gospel. So Philip shared the good news about Jesus with the Ethiopian man. And he must have shared it very effectively because at some point in their travels, the man sees this water and asks Philip to baptize him. Now the enemy will do anything to prevent us from sharing the gospel. He doesn't mind if we talk to unbelievers about sport. He doesn't mind if we talk about, to unbelievers about politics, about the economy, about entertainment. He doesn't even mind if we talk to an unbeliever about religious practices or what we did at church. It's the gospel message that the enemy hates. And this is the one message that we should have more deeply entrenched in our hearts than any other. When I started out in ministry, I attended the EE3 course. It's called Evangelism Explosion. And uh, as I attended it, I took careful note on how to lead someone to the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times as I've counseled people over the years, I've stopped the counseling session halfway through because the issue at hand wasn't the real issue. The real issue was that they weren't born again. And that person needed me to help them understand how salvation by grace works and who Jesus really is. Family and friends, is your testimony on the tip of your tongue? And do you know how to share the gospel in a clear and appealing way? So we've spoken today about fresh vision for kingdom living, about being alive to God, about having kingdom vision, about living a yes, Lord life, and about practical steps for reaching out to others. And so if the Lord's been speaking to you today, I wanna to invite you just to stand as I pray. Uh, let's just ask the Lord to give us fresh vision and to give us opportunities to share the good news with those around us.